Mina. How do you pronounce your last name? So it's Mina Abedir. You got that, Chris? Sorry, I'm the worst with pronunciations. <laughs> no, that's fine. I totally get it. Mina Abedir. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Welcome to the show, Brandon Byers and Mina Abadir. You two are the co-founders of something really, really exciting. Why don't you tell us a bit about it? Flight Control is a full-stack deployment platform that runs on your own AWS account. You get the same developer experience as something like Heroku, but using your own AWS account. Traditionally, you have to make the trade-off of something like Heroku that fully abstracts AWS. And so it's really easy to use, but it has a bunch of limitations around scalability, security, extensibility. So you either had to choose that, or if you went to AWS directly, then you get all the things of scalability and security and extensibility, but it's super hard to use, right? And you have to have DevOps expertise. But we sort of take the best of both worlds and give you the least amount of problems of each side. And so you get the scalability, the security of AWS, but the incredible ease of use of something like Heroku. As someone who has stayed away from most third-party big platforms like AWS, Google Cloud, Heroku even, someone who's literally just done Netlify and Vercel, what can you gain by going further, but not actually taking the dip into things like Amazon? Vercel and Netlify are really great, but they are targeted around front-end deployments. They really fall down whenever you go to do back-end stuff. Of course, they have serverless functions. You can do some back-end stuff, but it's mainly limited to simple things. And you quickly run into issues if you're running back-end. Prime example of this is that Vercel hosts their back-end API, not on Vercel. Vercel is targeted for front end. And so we're not trying to compete with them for front end, but we are trying to provide the same developer experience as you get with Vercel, but for back end and then also full stack. And it's important to mention that you are trying to own both the server and the database. Is that correct? If you want us to, yeah. You can easily deploy an app with a database and connect them together and, and we will manage all that for you. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point here because I've seen a lot of really great services recently that are the same pitch, you know, a backend Vercel, a backend Netlify, but they may just be owning the server part or they may just be owning the database part. Like they're giving you, you know, a Postgres database or something like that. But you are giving full access to AWS resources with a nice UI on top. And you've recently added RDS support and the core server is Fargate. So I'd be curious why you went with Fargate over any other wide range of running a service or running a server on AWS. Fargate's very nice service from AWS. It's uh, basically Kubernetes without managing the cluster. It's somehow serverless, but for long-running containers. You get a container, long-running, it can scale up to a maximum that you can define. Like you can say, okay, I need maximum two or three servers of this configuration of CPU and RAM, and it can scale with traffic. So if your traffic increases, automatically Fargates will provision more servers for you. This is a nice middle ground between serverless and full servers or full bare metal servers, as we used to say for EC2, something like that. So it's a middle ground, which will work great and perfect for, I would say, most of the applications. 
The other thing to consider here is serverless Lambda functions versus container servers is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Some people's apps will work fine running on Lambda. Other people are better suited for long-running containers. And the problem is that a lot of services either do one or the other. And so if you need to switch, you have to totally switch providers. But where we're going is, is supporting both. So we're starting with containers since that's like the least common or the most common denominator, least common denominator, whatever it's supposed to be. It supports all the use cases, right? But serverless works good for some cases, but but not others. But we do plan to add Lambda functions as well at some point. Yeah, this is super interesting to me because I have been going through a similar journey that you both have from the Redwood side, because a lot of this I know has been built on work that has gone on with Blitz. And it's been really exciting for us to see this company get built because I remember, Brandon, this is your fourth time on the show. And I remember one of the times you were on, we had this whole roundtable episode. We were talking about, you know, how to deploy these FSJM kind of applications. And we were like, man, all the deployment options are just not that good. You know, (laughs) like we really need to just make our own deployment platform. And so once we saw you announce it, we're like, oh, cool, we're doing the thing. Like we're going there, you know, and the problems came from trying to use this serverless technology and having these lambdas and having all these problems that came along with the lambdas. And so with Redwood, we eventually got to the point where we were like, all right, let's just like run this sucker on a server. And that was useful for people who were able to spin up VMs and you know work with PM2 and that kind of stuff. And that's where Chris has gone down that path we started seeing things like fly and fly was like, here's this, you know, container that you can just run and have a really nice kind of container thing. So I've found that the container seems to be a nice middle ground for a lot of people towards more similar to an actual server, but it's still not like running a full VM. So it's got kind of like a nicer DX associated with it. So I'd be curious how much you integrate with say something like Docker compose. Cause I know like with Docker compose, you can just run a very simple, concise configuration as code type thing, and then it figures that out for you. But I also know that Docker Compose is not exactly the same as just like running a Docker file. It has some specific things built into it. So if I had a Docker Compose file, could I bring that to Flight Control? So Docker Compose is mostly an orchestration layer on top of Docker. You orchestrate several Docker services. They all work together. You start all of them together and you tear them down all together. We are a little bit different because we support single services. If you have your own Docker image, not specifically Docker Compose, like Docker image that you need to run on a server, this is what we support out of the box. In our IAC, which is infrastructure as configuration file, you say, okay, I need to use this Docker file. Whenever we are building your project, we use the Docker file for you. Docker Compose is almost like managing a cluster on like a single machine. Our like Docker Compose equivalent is like Fargate, right? Like Fargate manages the cluster for you. You can define your, your bring your own Docker file. You just link to your Docker file, link that to flight control, and then and then we deploy that and handle it for you. So we have the equivalent functionality of Docker Compose, but it's just our own configuration file that's you know somewhat similar. Yeah, so let's let's get into that because you have a flightcontrol.json file. So you created your own infrastructure as code setup, essentially. So could you talk a little bit about how you decided the syntax for that and then how you decided what to include and like what kind of the considerations around the DX that went into creating something like that? Because that's like something that most services have, but not many developers will like go through the process of creating something like that. It's kind of a specific thing. So I'd be curious, like, you know, how you even like think about something like that 
Infrastructure as code is really, really great because you have this configuration that is in your code. You can easily make PRs, comment, you know, collaborate on it. You can copy and paste it across projects to easily, you know, spin up an entire set of servers and services and things. But the problem is most infrastructure as code is designed for DevOps, Terraform, Palomi, things like that. For an, a normal app developer that, that doesn't really know DevOps is basically like way too complex. Like it's just essentially out of the realm of possibility for you to do. And so what we're doing is bringing the benefits of infrastructure as code to app developers. And so our configuration file is giving you the same benefits of the traditional infrastructure as code, but it's super easy to understand for, for app developers. You know, we use higher level abstractions essentially. And so it's just really easy to configure things. Some other providers have like started with config and then they later got rid of it in favor of UI. And so there's sort of this tension between using infrastructure as code versus configuring stuff through the user interface. There's a little bit more cognitive overhead to writing a JSON file, putting it into your repo versus point and click in the UI. So what we are in the process of right now, like literally this week is trying to like unify those things together because in, until now, the only way to configure flight control is through the config file. But this week we're adding a visual layer on top of it where we essentially store the config file in our database until at some point you can choose to eject that into your repo. We're trying to give you the, like the really the best of both the worlds where you can start with easy UI stuff and then you can also eject to a config file and get those great infrastructure code benefits. I think the biggest reason why I seem to like UIs more than config files is because UIs tend to say all the options, no matter how long the web page is. Trying to explain all the options in a config file, it doesn't do it because it's just TOML or YAML or like, you feel like you're guessing your way through it to get to what you want. Which way is better? I think there's definitely pros and cons to both ways, as we've spoke about, but I think it's all down to user preference. Having it stored in like a database and then it can be ejected, I think could be a really good way of saying, look, you want to customize it in a UI, but then you want it to be saved in a file. That's how you do it. Yeah. And then the other thing we can do is like, even if the file stored in your repo, we can show it visually to you. Right. And then you can like change it in the UI and then we can just, you click save and we open a PR to your repo for you. Let's try something a little bit different. I think this is interesting. I run my own SaaS product. It is not serverless. It is in a DigitalOcean droplet with a DigitalOcean Postgres database next to it. Sound like you're a good potential customer. I know, I know. I use PM2 and I hate PM2 for managing my Redwood app and my next app. How could I benefit from flight control? Well, you can get rid of PM2. You can get rid of DigitalOcean. You can get rid of all the, the other manual stuff you're doing and we'll just do it all for you. When you say you'll do it all for me, how does that look? Do I just push to Git and expect it to be deployed behind an IP address? Yes, exactly. So you connect your GitHub account and your AWS account to Flight Control and then Git push and we handle the rest. And what about things like Nginx? However you pronounce that, I've never said it out loud. <laughs> you don't need to worry, think about that. We handle that. I think the load balancer is actually what handles that part, but you don't have to think about it or worry, worry about that part. And what about my domains? So you define your domain currently in our config file, eventually soon also in the UI, just define your, your domain. And then we will give you your DNS records. So like a C name or whatever you need to set. As soon as you change that DNS settings, then traffic will automatically be routed to your flight control deployment. Interesting. Where is it all hosted? Are you hosting it in America for me or am I hosting it myself? Who actually owns that cluster? Because as I understand, it's backed on AWS. 
So you own it from your AWS account, but it can be in any AWS region. So you define the region uh, whenever you set up your, your project and we'll deploy it to that region. So you own it wherever you want to own it. Awesome. And once I already have an AWS account that has loads of stuff already working on it, will Flight Control break it or will it just work all together? Yeah, Flight Control will break it. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Flight Control will not break it. There's like a basically a one-click integration. We use a CloudFormation stack, which is what links uh, our account with your account and gives us access into your account securely. And then you can revoke that at any time. And then the, the infrastructure that we create for you is isolated. That's not going to mess with anything else. If you're trying something out and you want to tear it down, then you can easily destroy that project or services from our dashboard and we'll remove all the resources for you. If I was to delete flight control at AWS, you would make sure that after the end of the month, there's no recurring payments, because this is actually something that I've had myself is I've tried to delete everything off my AWS. It's like, why is it still charging me? I've got nothing on here. And there's always stuff hiding in places. Yeah, for sure. We delete everything that we create for you. So if you're, if you're getting charged as for something else that you did previously, not us, unless we have a bug. What's the current plan today? What have you got today? Where's the future going? What's your big milestone features that you really want to implement and really excite you? Yeah, sure. So um, actually three main features or actually four, four main features that we're going to build. I'm not going to mention the uh, flight control or the UI configuration that Brandon mentioned, because that's one thing that we're working on. We're going to introduce three new service types. So static services. So if you have a website that just static files, HTML, images, CSS, JavaScript, no server-side component to it, you can easily build it, push it, and we host it on an S3 account for you with CDN in front of it. So we take all the uh, pressure of hosting it or starting a server or anything. We just build, push it for you, and it's available. It's really very, very, very optimized very fast. I was testing it yesterday and I was like, oh my God, yeah, that's nice. I'm going to use it myself. The other thing is background workers. So if you have long running servers that are doing any background jobs, we're going to introduce a service type that is completely isolated. They don't have load balancers or CloudFront or anything in front of it, it's just servers running, doing any background processing for you. We're also going to introduce an environment variable UI component where you can edit and change your environment variables. A few more service types are an S3 service type for just an easy way to create an S3 bucket for uploading and downloading files and easily linking that to your, your other services. Also a Redis service. This will be backed using ElastiCache, which is a, a managed service provided by AWS. And so you'll be able to easily add a Redis to your, to your setup. And then also I, I want to make sure to emphasize that all our, our public web services has a CloudFront CDN in front of it automatically. And this is something no other hosting provider is doing. I can't believe that no one has done this yet. I can't believe we're the first one, but like, it's so obvious that you want a CDN in front of your, your web service. And so you automatically get that with us. You all are in the Redwood camp. So hopefully your, your wheels are turning now with all these service types. You can see that like, we're going to be really awesome for hosting Redwood apps here very soon because with Redwood, you have a separate API service and a separate static site service, and then potentially other workers, Redis, whatever. You'll be able to um, basically have one click deploy a production Redwood app with everything wired up for you. 
just recently we had the team do a ton of work with the serverless framework to achieve something kind of similarly i would be curious if you were looking at things like the serverless framework for inspiration or if you were just like like now nah, we're just gonna like figure this out ourselves serverless framework is is way too convoluted to take inspiration from in my in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's why we had to wrap it with like a, a kind of Redwood command because, yeah, it definitely took a, a ton of work to get going. We've got in a pretty good spot just for Redwood people, but I agree that it's kind of surprising that it's not an out-of-the-box solution, really, that like we had to do a ton of work to get that CDN where it is. So I definitely see like a ton of value in that, and that was like definitely a very smart choice. I don't know if I missed it, but what about databases? Are you helping host databases or is that something that we should use a third party service for? So we support RDS service type today. We, we do support that. You can define your database service on flight control and then we will automatically create that provision and you can easily change your, your storage. You can set up storage auto scaling, turn on delete protection. And so this is using RDS. Personally, we're using PlanetScale because PlanetScale is awesome. But RDS is really great too, especially like if you're not expecting huge scaling things for a long time, then, then RDS is really nice to use. I think something else that I should mention is that since you're using your AWS account, we're creating all these resources, right? But we also give you links out to those resources. In the flight control dashboard, you can like click a view logs button, a view metrics button, and we link out to the corresponding AWS page. And so AWS is like a massive jungle, right? Like trying to figure out where you want to go. We, we give you direct links to all the places that you want to go. And so as you're using flight control, you start to become familiar with AWS and it becomes less and less intimidating. And then the other thing that's great with that is if there's a feature or a configuration that you need, but we don't support as a first class thing yet, you can go into AWS and tweak our infrastructure that we create for you to do whatever you want to do. And it'll just work. That's a real power fit that you get over something like Heroku that abstracts it all away and hides it from you. Why did you choose not to hide all the abstractions? Why did you choose to say, bring your own AWS account instead of we're going to abstract it away for you into our own accounting system? Is it so you can scale faster? As in, you know, you have to less worry about most things. Or is it because you think that, you know, there's a lot of room to grow alongside AWS? It is completely because of the user experience, the developer experience. So Heroku is great, but inevitably every company who scales on Heroku reaches a point at which they outgrow Heroku. They reach the limits. I've heard from at least one person that is interested in flight control that in their last company, they started on Heroku and they reached this point of scale where they had to migrate out to AWS. And they literally lost like a million dollars in revenue opportunity from the long expensive migration from Heroku to AWS. And then also, if you're on something that totally abstracts AWS, you can't securely connect to AWS services directly. Like in some cases, you can do it like over the internet. It's somewhat secure, but it's not like within a VPC where it, it's hyper secure. And just in general, it's, it's really hard to use AWS services from the second layer providers. And so a lot of these things you won't notice until a bit further down the road, but we're setting you up for success. And that's a, a reason that a lot of people don't start on Heroku these days is because they know of these scaling security challenges. What would you say to people that really like the idea of flight control, but really hate giving Amazon money? Well, there's not much I can say to that at this point, other than that, probably eventually we will support Google Cloud and Azure, but it, it's likely a few years out. 
I think there's different from choosing to buy local to choosing to buy from Amazon. But when it comes to like computers and raw computational power, most things just use Amazon, even if you like it or not. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if you're using another provider, probably this provider is using AWS under the hood. So (laughs) it's more or less you're going to AWS. (laughs) Someone's paying the bill. Right. (laughs) What kind of people have been signing up so far? What kind of projects they've been using? And if you see any patterns or if it's kind of all over the board in terms of what is being brought to flight control as early adopters? It's fairly varied right now. We have a number of people who are just small apps that are like just launching, small startups that are just launching. We have uh, one startup that's like a year or two old, but has 6 million requests per month. And they migrated from Vercel to Flight Control. And their monthly cost went from $2,000 a month to under $300 a month total. And that's because they're doing a lot of like backend IO processing and Vercel is like not designed for that, right? Like we talked about, it's for front end. And then we also have a little bit larger startups and then also one agency that's using us right now that's bringing on multiple accounts. Our infrastructure as code is really powerful for agencies, especially since they're spinning up a lot of similar services. We've been working closely with them for designing that config file. One of my big questions is, how are you going to help with the teaching? Because actually, I think that's a lot of the bigger problem when it comes to hosting, answering the questions and how to get them from, I want to host my app globally. I want it to be hosted in multiple countries. How do we get from that point to, okay, my app is now hosting many countries. Does Netlify do that? Does Vercel? Does AWS by default? I guess they all do, but there's a lot of like teaching and learning. This is actually something I did today. How do you allow your app to be C-named under someone else's domain so they can access your app? It's a perfect, great example in SaaS apps, but... How many people have actually wrote on the internet on how to do this? Vercel kind of allows it, but Vercel doesn't say very well how to do it. It's like, you kind of feel like you're just like walking in the dark with your arms out, getting to the solution. And I find all these high level things, yeah, your hosting provider, you know, whoever's helping you with this infrastructure, I think should be that wealth of knowledge to say, you need that, this is how to do that. And I think that's really where we could see massive adoption in this area. For example, AWS is great. You can do anything on AWS but actually understanding AWS you need a book to just understand AWS before you even got to a product of AWS and its acronyms yeah I think you have a really great point here I'm actually currently reading uh, the book badass making your users awesome I think is what it is and it, it talks about this whole thing of like a lot of times your marketing materials is all around like oh like be a better developer be a better photographer but then as soon as you buy the product like buy camera then all of a sudden your user manual is all about the tool like tweak this setting and tweak that and you lose the overall context of like being a better photographer being a better developer it's talking about how like you really want to help provide these paths and these training to your users to become the better developer or whatever that is that they are there's a huge amount of stuff we can do here this visual editor flow that that we're working on this week is like our first kind of step in that direction. But yeah, 100% agree that there's so much education stuff that we need to do. And I think the biggest thing that goes with that is the very gray mess of where something starts and where something ends. Like I said, this example, I was building it in Next.js middleware. I was adding in the middleware to detect domains and everything. But then Vercel is not Next.js understanding where the Next.js middleware ends and where Vercel needs to pick up the slack is also another really hard thing. How can you think 
as a platform, you can help users through this agnostic to frameworks. Do you think you'd get to this point of like an SDK of such? It's a good question. I'm not sure if I have a great answer for it. I don't think a lot of stuff will need a SDK. There is some framework aware things like for Next.js incremental static regeneration that currently does not really work in a multi-instance cluster or not, not not work well because each instance in the cluster would have a different cache. We're looking at adding basically a hook into Next.js that will unify that cache across all your clusters. So there's stuff like that that we're planning on doing. But for your thing about custom domains, wildcard domains, we support that as of last week. So you can define your domain as star.example.com. All of those subdomains will route to your app and then inside the app, you can use the host header to detect the domain. It works very similar to how Vercel does, but we do support that also. That's awesome to hear. I should really give Flight Controller a go. I have to admit, I'm not even on the newsletter. I've been in the early adopters. Yeah, Anthony's already been in there. Um, we are offering free white glove migration assistance for a limited time. So we're in that early stage where we're just doing everything we can, doing stuff that doesn't scale to help people get on board and be successful. Doing things that don't scale is like the one of the biggest advices I can give as a founder. When we talk about technology, we're always so fast to say, yeah, but we should have like 20 webhooks that tell us exactly where this user is along this process and how far they've got. And oh, the billing is already in there. We're making money. And your user comes through the door and goes, I don't even like this product. And they walk off and you're like, why? And it's because you've not done things that don't scale. You've not felt the pains before they happen. And I felt this a lot in Everfund to a certain extent. It's like, I can't automate a process until I manly know the problems, manly have done it 20 times. And then it's like, I felt the pain so you don't have to. And I think that's a really good thing to think about when building any company, as in what's the point of automating something if you don't understand the point of it, if the pains that you're trying to avoid by automating it, it's a very big point. But I forgot who says it. Paul Graham, I think. Yeah, it's, it's general YC advice, Y Combinator. And that's a good point because this is how we build our pipelines. In order to introduce new service, we first go and try to build this service manually through the AWS console and, and see how difficult it is so we can understand the optimizations and how to optimize the process and how to make it easier for the user. So this is a good advice overall. Mina, our listeners know Brandon pretty well at this point. You're our new to FS Jam. So I'll love to hear just a little bit about your background, how you came to know Brandon and like what it was about this project that really excited you. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm from an engineering background. However, I didn't work for engineering for too long. I worked for, as a project manager in few industries. However, engineering has been in the back of my mind. Ten years ago, I started Excite Consultancy as DevOps and development consultancy firm, uh, like a one-man shop. From there, I started to feel the pain of how DevOps is very difficult. How DevOps is, is very intimidating to small teams who don't have the uh, the DevOps bar. There are some tools in the industry today that help us with that, but there is no single tool that really had a very perfect user developer experience end-to-end. I met Brandon three years ago in like entrepreneurship community, MegaMaker. I have been... Following his journey, I started with the uh, early days Blitz open source community. I started there, but I didn't really contribute much at this time. And then both of us had the urge to start the flight control idea. I reached out to him over DM when, when he started to talk about how difficult it is to productionize your application. And I told him, hey, hey, Brandon, like I'm thinking of this idea. Do you like to partner on that? This is where it all started. 
I'll let Brandon continue. <laughs> he says it better than me. <laughs> he sent me that DM literally the day after I like decided, okay, I'm going to build this flight control thing. His vision for flight control was basically exactly the same vision as mine. And like we had not, like we knew of each other, but we didn't like really know each other. So it was like a super, super wild thing. And I got the DM. I'm like, what in the world? Like we, we have to talk. Like it's, it's kind of um scary to like start a company with somebody that you don't really know. Right. But when something like this aligned happens, like you, you have to explore it. Turns out we are like the best co-founder paired like possible in my opinion. Like we're so aligned on core values, on product vision. Our skills like fit together so well. It's it's been a truly awesome journey. That's really great. And it does remind me a little bit of just like me and Chris, you know, like we had similar ideas about like FS Jam and didn't really know each other that well when we started it. And now, you know, we're a year into this and done all these episodes and it's worked out pretty well, I think. I do think personally, starting a company with a friend is a very hard thing to do because, you know, you want to remain friends. Starting a company with a stranger, it's a different kind of relationship to a friendship. I think it's more like being a parent, personally. Not like being a couple, a parent. You both love the thing you're building and you want it to go your ways and you're willing to work together to keep it going and make it grow. And I've never struggled to find people to join me and help me. But I know a lot of people do. Being a founder of a company, I think is one of the hardest things I've done, but also the most rewarding. Sometimes I think when I'm lying in bed, it's like, how am I here? How have I got to these opportunities? But then I think, yeah, but I could go work at a fan company and make 100k and that would be my life. And then like, yeah, but these opportunities are pretty cool. There's nothing like being a founder, in my opinion. Like I value freedom as like one of my most important values. And the freedom that you have as a founder can be like terrifying to a lot of people, but it just makes me come alive, right? Like there's just unlimited potential, unlimited possibility. I can go anywhere and do anything. It's just that mix of art and science of figuring out what to build, who to build it for, how to market it, how to sell it, how to price it. It's just an unlimited amount of challenges and problems to solve. And it's it's so fun if you like that type of thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But at the same time, founding a company is not for everybody. It's a very particular type of person. But, you know, sometimes it's easier to know you're definitely getting next month's paycheck. Cool. We are getting close to the end of our time. I would point listeners to you have a podcast now called Flight Review, which I've been listening to and really enjoying. So if people want to stay up on what's happening in flight control, that's a really great way to do it. What are some things that you are really excited about that are coming up soon and what's kind of in the immediate future for flight control that people should be keeping an eye on? Flight Review, our podcast is a weekly podcast where Mina and I are just talking about our weekly experience building a company and everything that goes into that. For what I'm excited about, I'm super excited. Like we're doing a public launch within a week or two. So we're, we're like pushing really hard to get that done. And so that's going to be a big public launch, like general availability, Twitter, product hunt, et cetera. So be watching out for that. We're also working on the Blitz Toolkit pivot we're aiming to have that finished within a month and a half and so that is in progress so is blitz not dead nope blitz is not dead blitz is still alive and kicking and is coming back for round two <laughs> so yeah it's what we're building here is really this long-term flywheel between flight control and blitz blitz users it's good for them to use flight control and, and flight control users is good for, for them to use blitz yeah, we, we have a lot of stuff in store for Blitz. A lot of people are really excited about it. We have a lot of good feedback on this new direction. We're like working hard. We have a two product company with three people. It's a busy time for us. 
Mina, what are you excited about? Yeah, so excited about the public launch. We're getting ready for that. We've been hustling for the last months to build the product that we like personally to use. This is what excites me most. And Pleds Pleds has been a very great product for everyone. Like I don't hear any negative things about Pleds, only good things. So um, I'm happy that the community likes it. And we're doubling down on Pleds. It's, it's not that it's, uh, we're just like three, as, as Brandon mentioned, we're just three person managing two products. So we're, we're doing our best to balance between both, but Pleds is there. I am seeing Pleds and flight control as a suite of products that basically helps the developer takes an idea into execution into launch so people can actually focus on their product on the core product not building websites and applications this is not the core of every product so people can focus on what they need to do their business values if i was to join today i don't expect to see both of them merged into one or should i expect to see them are both of them separate what does that look like or blitz and flight control yeah, as in, is it going to be one dashboard, two separate dashboards, two separate complete apps? Or do I expect them all to just be one massive app in the end? No, they're, they're very distinctly different. So Blitz is an open source toolkit. This new direction is an open source toolkit for building full stack apps in any framework. It's got to be JavaScript, but any framework, primarily Next.js for now, and then also like Remix, Astro, all the rest of them, Redwood. But Flight Control is the paid hosting solution for not just Blitz, but for like any application. We support any JavaScript application today without a Docker file, but then we also support any other language or framework if you bring your own custom Docker file. In the relatively near future, like a month or two, we'll be adding Heroku build pack support. And so it'll be super easy to run Rails apps, PHP apps directly on Flight Control as well. So, you know, they're two distinctly different products, open source. You know, in some sense, it's, it's like our marketing for Flight Control. It's, it's a distribution channel for bringing awareness to flight control, but they are distinctly different products. Very interesting. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole another episode on just like what has been happening with Blitz and the direction that's going. But I know that's still kind of early days, so I won't grill you too much on that for now. But I would be curious if someone has a Blitz app today pre-new toolkit is that something where it would make sense for them to migrate to the toolkit or is it just something that they should maintain and then consider switching over to the new version like is there a migration path there yeah the migration will be super easy and it'll be highly recommended for everyone to migrate to the new toolkit. One of the big limitations right now is Blitz is a fork of Next.js and we're stuck on, a, on an older version of Next.js. But with this new toolkit, then you'll be able to upgrade Next.js at your own will. You won't be tied to a certain version. A lot of the APIs and stuff are, are gonna be extremely similar, if not the same. And we will be automating any changes that are required via code mod. It should be like just a few minute upgrade from your current Blitz to the new Blitz toolkit. Sounds pretty good. Good luck with that. You have any other questions, Chris? What technologies is the flight control dashboard built with? I bet you can't guess. Blitz.js. So you're going to have all of these problems to sort for yourself as well. You're not only building the boat, but you're also riding the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. A, I converted a Rails app to Blitz. It had been like over a year ago. This time around, building the flight control dashboard is like the first time I've been using Blitz for a while. And during the process of building the flight control dashboard, I'm just like, I cannot imagine how I would live without Blitz. Like, I love Blitz so much. The developer experience it provides is just super incredible. We're definitely going to be investing in it heavily. We'll be hiring later this year. Right now, we're sort of in this focus mode with just the three of us but we are going to be hiring more people for for both flight control and for blitz
templates and really just making this whole developer experience with for building and deploying apps as awesome as it can possibly be. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can users find each of you and flight control? I'm on Twitter as FlyBear, F-L-Y-B-A-Y-E-R. You can find flight control at flightcontrol.dev.dev. And we would love to have you try out flight control. And if you have any confusions or problems, like please let us know. We're still early. And so any and all feedback is super valuable. And you can find me on Twitter under Abadir. So it's A-B-A-D-I-R underscore. So that's my handle. It's Abadir underscore. Well, thank you both for being here. I've been so excited for flight control. I was happy to be kind of in the early group of people trying it out. So I've actually got a repo that's just like a simple little express app running on flight control right now. So we'll also have that in the show notes. And I'm looking forward to maybe writing some content about it, like, you know, some getting started guides and stuff like that, because you know, I've just been a big fan of what you've been working on, Brandon, for a while. And it's been great to get to contribute a a little bit to it and i really recommend people check it out because we've been talking about the issues that we think come along with hosting these types of applications and so seeing someone actually go out there and try and address them and try and build something to make that experience better like we're all about that that's what we really love here at fs jam so yeah just always been a big fan of the stuff you're working on and we'll continue to support what you're doing thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you so much We'll see you soon, maybe for the main launch of Flight Control, whenever that is.